0: I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So I just celebrated my 41st birthday. If you've been listening to the podcast for very long, you know that like I had a whole head trip thing about my 40th birthday. So just want to acknowledge, like made it through the year, 40 was okay, I've made it to 41, and um. I'm happy to report that for the first time in my life, I actually, I have a six pack. Like I have like super ripped abdominal muscles. So lest you start to get nervous that this is going to be a podcast about selling you on some like diet scheme or supplement or any of that, like rest assured it's not, there's nothing for sale here. And it's also not supposed to be like a humble brag because the way that I got a six pack was really, it's really not such a happy story in the sense that in the past year I've had some really significant losses. I lost my dad last November, which, you know, I spoke about on the podcast. And then last May, I actually lost my brother um, which I haven't talked about publicly at all and maybe will more in a future episode, but today is not that day. But because there has been so much loss in my life and really very heavy things that I've been dealing with and, and dealing with in the context of also running my business, which is emotionally intense and caring for my three children who are emotionally intense. And then of course, showing up for Rob and then trying to be a friend and, um, you know, like you get it. There's a lot of emotional heavy lifting that, that is involved with my life happy to do it. It's a life I've chosen. Would rather not do it so intensively with people I love dying. That would not be my choice, but that's what life has handed me these last few years. So the thing that has really sustained me, maybe even saved me, is something that I've spent a lot of time doing, especially in the last year, which is aerial sling. Aerial sling is like sort of equal parts yoga, dance, circus, and just brute strength. So I'll put some um, photos and video up on the Zen Founder site. So if you like absolutely don't know what I'm talking about, then you can go and, and check out what it is I'm talking about. But this has been a hobby that I started fairly casually, like about two and a half years ago, when we moved to Minneapolis, I realized I needed like an indoor physical activity because i wasn't I wasn't loving the experience of running in the winter when it was like two degrees. So I went searching around and I got this thing called Class Pass, which is like a way that you can access a bunch of different gyms and exercise programs by just buying this one pass. So I ended up at this studio that was teaching an aerial yoga class. And I'm a yoga teacher. I've been doing yoga for many years. So I thought, hey, this is a new take on something I really love. Sounds fantastic. I'll jump in and do this. And I really loved it. It was super fun. It's a really interesting combination of strength and flexibility. So I started doing it and I kind of realized, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like this is a good fit for my body type and for kind of how my brain works. And so went a little bit deeper, I did a teacher training program. I went to Texas and did an, a training program in how to use this type of practice with kiddos on the autism spectrum or kiddos who have ADHD. So of course, like, like anything that I do, I tend to sort of go pretty deep. I don't tend to dabble in things. I, I really sought to equip myself to do this really well but it's not really been until my dad died last November that I have felt like I need to do this to kind of survive. So I've spent lots of time, you know, I probably, some days I train three hours a day where I'm lifting weights in the morning and then going to an aerial class with a teacher, and then maybe practicing my on my own for another hour. So it's something that I've done a pretty deep dive in and have started performing a little bit, teaching relatively regularly. And of course, it is really very outside of my job as a psychologist, as a mental health professional to entrepreneurs and leaders. But that's kind of the point. What I really want to talk about today is sort of the life saving, life-enhancing power of having a good hobby. And it just so happens that my hobby was in place when I really needed it to be. And in the midst of emotional heaviness and grief, I needed something playful. I needed something that would take my mind off of everything that was hard and heavy in my life. I literally needed to sort of fly around in the sky because... I was so aware of the sort of sad heavy coldness of death. So there's a lot of counterbalancing, counteracting things that were going on with my hobby that really helped me feel like I could grieve and cope effectively because I had this other thing in my life that brought all of these alternative emotions to the surface. And yeah it just so happens that now there's a great byproduct of like having a really strong body that you know feels really good at this point you know my ripe old age of 41. so I wanted to break this down a little bit more systematically because I talk with a lot of founders who are basically like, look, I've got time to be amazing at my job and to show up for my family and occasionally talk to my friends. And that is the capacity that I have. And I really want to push back on that because I think that those outside of work, hobby kinds of activities have so much power to help protect and sustain our mental health, not even just under... Extreme or extenuating circumstances like sort of what happened to me in the last year with these two deaths. But when we have a good hobby, a good alternative activity that is not taking care of our family and is not working on our business we are able to cultivate neurological flexibility. So when I am doing my circus thing, I am using a very different set of neurological skills, different cells than I'm using when I'm working as a psychologist or when I'm here speaking to you. I'm thinking about like spatial reasoning. I'm thinking about physics a lot. I'm thinking about how not to fault. Very different than the kind of higher order cognition things that I'm thinking about when I'm talking to an entrepreneur in a in a consulting session. And this kind of practice, you guys, is so, so good for our brains to really enhance the neurological circuitry that we just don't use very regularly so things like dancing that require us to memorize steps or to watch a motion and then practice that motion in our own bodies this sort of kinesthetic intelligence those kinds of things really help protect our brains against some of the cognitive decline that's commonly associated with aging because we're using so many different facets of our brain. So basically if one set of circuitry within our neurology starts to get a little bit, a little weak or a little bit less well-connected, we have all of this other circuitry that's already healthy and strong. So having a lifelong hobby or even a series of different kinds of hobbies is really, really helpful in just cultivating or growing a very robust brain. So that's benefit number one of a great hobby. And benefit number two is really the the psychological benefit of, of fun, of joy, of having a break from the set of emotional and problem-solving tasks that are normally on your plate within your business, within your family, and really allowing for a different set of emotions, a different experience, a true break from the tasks and challenges in your daily life. So that has neurological benefits, but it has these psychological benefits of like when I am learning a new trick on the hammock, when I'm practicing a new circus move, I experience the benefit of like, watch it, try it, practice it five times. And if it's a simple trick in the course of, you know, 10, 15 minutes, like I've accomplished it. Woohoo, get to check that off my list. That's a great little dopamine rush for my brain. In my daily life, I'm working with entrepreneurs and we see changes, and people are getting better, and people's lives are improving, but it never, it really doesn't usually happen in 15 minutes. Like, it's a very different timeline of that dopamine rush of checking something off the list. So in my hobby, my emotional life has a very different experience because I'm learning something quicker. It's a different pace, it's a different reward system. There's a very different feedback loop. And of course, now in my hobby, I get to work with different kinds of coaches and trainers. And I'm now learning about choreography and how to perform and all of these things that I have never done in my whole life, you guys, I've never been a dancer. This is just a whole new world for me. And so it's such a welcome shift from the kinds of things that are my day-to-day psychology in my work and family life. And I would say a third benefit of having a well-chosen hobby, something that you really give yourself time and space for, is that it helps fill out our relationships, we have talked a lot on the podcast about the isolation and the loneliness that can go along with being an entrepreneur or being a leader of any kind. When you are the person who is on the top, you are carrying the weight of your business, the weight of those responsibilities. And often you're the only one who who knows the full range of challenges and problems that you are thinking about within the context of your business. And that can be quite isolating, One way, it's not the only way, but one way of counteracting that is to really cultivate relationships outside of work, where you are spending time with other people who like to do the same things that you do. And it's also this great equalizer. When we're in leadership or positions of authority, it can feel like it's hard to be sort of on equal standing with everyone around us. And that's that's not like a power trip thing. It's just kind of reflects a different level of responsibility. But when we are in our woodworking class or playing on our soccer team, or in my case, training with the circus crew, it is a really different relational self that comes out. We aren't in charge. It's not our responsibility to cultivate connections. We get to be a learner. We get to be a participant. We get to be part of a team without the inherent burden to lead the team all the time. And I think that can also cultivate this great relational flexibility where we get to have different parts of our friend self activated by being part of a great hobby. So what makes a good hobby unless all of you want to go out and, uh, play with a circus. Let's think about the the qualities that make a hobby really powerful and helpful for us in terms of protecting our mental health and enhancing our ability to be amazing at our work. So one of the things that I think is most important is absorption. This is that you are doing an activity that requires you to be all in. You are not distracted. You are not thinking about a problem at work or thinking about a problem with your kid. You are all in. So people who do woodworking or glass blowing. Like if you're not paying attention, you could get seriously hurt. In my case with Ariel, if I'm not paying attention, I can easily fall or I can miss a step in a trick and get tangled or stuck, which does happen to me sometimes. So the the demand for ideally your body and your mind and your emotion life to be all in on something is really, I think, what makes a good hobby and really yields those neurological, psychological, and relational benefits that I just talked about. So thinking about the kinds of things that really capture your attention, maybe it's painting, maybe it's even like hardcore cooking, (laughs) things that are like, oh, I have to do this right, I have to pay attention, I have to focus Otherwise, it will have a bad outcome. I think that's a really good mark because, again, you're just on this brain vacation from your daily job, from your daily life, and you get to explore different parts of yourself. I also think the best kinds of hobbies, especially for founders, are hobbies that are in some way interactive, So my particular hobby, it's not a team sport. It's something that I can do in a class or I deal with a coach. So those are the relationship connections. One of my teachers is this woman named Elizabeth, and she's a lifelong ballerina turned circus girl. And Elizabeth is on the autism spectrum, which she's very public about. So she is a really interesting, amazing person, and she thinks... In movement. You you know, she can hardly even explain something to me. She always has to show me because her primary language is the language of movement, which is so different than me, right? Like, my primary language is, is verbal. Like, I love words. I'm always using words. I am talking to you right now with words. But to be able to form this deep relationship with her that is really different than the entrepreneurs that I spend most of my time with is such a delight so it doesn't necessarily have to be like a team sport where you're on a soccer team or a volleyball team and you have a lot of camaraderie with other people if that's your gem amazing but also your teachers in your hobby can become really important fixtures in your relational life and i will say that the third thing that I think makes a really good hobby is that emphasis on those different neural networks. So if you spend a lot of your time looking at data or programming on a computer, I'm not a super fan of video games for you, not because I'm anti-video game, but I just think it's a hobby that maps on a little too closely to the kinds of neural networks that you're using in your day-to-day life when you're solving problems in a highly technical way. So it's obviously different. There's different things at play. But if you spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer, honestly, the best counterbalancing kinds of hobbies are the things where you really move your body in those gross motor kinds of ways. So dancing, taking on a sport, weightlifting, you know, anything that's just getting you to exist in different planes of space. And I can appreciate that you know, as a grown-up, walking in totally green to a new activity is not always easy, but I will say over and over that I have found people to be so gracious. And when they have something that they love, they're often very happy to teach someone else. <laughs> Our kids encountered this log rolling exhibit on at the fair this year. So this is where you like stand on the log and you try to, you know, roll it like the lumberjacks used to do to unclog logs that were clogging the river. And I happened to know the woman who was hosting this demonstration. Her name is Stacy. And she got all of my kids up in this little kiddie pool rolling on the logs and she was so engaging. She has such a spark about her as she taught them to do it, that that spark is really contagious. And guess what? Now, uh, this fall, all three of my children are taking log rolling class. So, hey, welcome to Minnesota. So there is something so great about being in that learner mind and about finding people who have deep joy in their hobby and are, are engaged and excited about teaching you. So Always and forever, the problem that people bump into with this conversation is the problem of time. And I'm very sensitive to that. I can appreciate that. But if you are an entrepreneur, I do know that mostly you control your schedule. And I do think that there is often some windows of opportunity that we don't always pay great attention to. For example, that you might take your yoga class on Wednesday at noon, that you might work with your woodworking teacher or your glass blowing teacher. You might set up a a one-on-one lesson Mondays at three, that you are master of your schedule. That is why you are an entrepreneur for many of us. It's the freedom and flexibility to do our lives the way that we want to do them. I know that I train pretty early in the morning. I am uplifting weights and up practicing usually at 5.30 or 6 a.m. That works for my body. That's not, you know, me being a hero or anything. I don't feel morally superior because it's easy for me to wake up early. That's just what I showed up with. And so I have to carve out that time and protect that time before my kids get up. And I will say that going deep in on a hobby does cost you. Like I have made less writing progress in the last nine months since I've been doing such a deep dive into this particular activity. And I am less available, you know, for some of my friends' outings late at night if I'm doing a performance or if I'm doing a special training. So it comes at a cost. You have to make sure that it's a good trade-off for you. But I also think that there are so many benefits that we tend to undervalue because they don't feel quite as productive. But a hobby is something that is an investment in your long-term well-being, neurological flexibility, physical health, relationship connections, things that bring you joy and are fun. And... I will say, and I do often say to most entrepreneurs, I think we're too busy not to create some kind of space in our lives for these kinds of activities. We're too busy not to let ourselves experience joy. We're too busy not to be learners in some part of our lives. We're too busy not to do things that put us in different, on different planes, in different spheres of life, in different ways of being, flying around upside down might not be your jam, but It's got to be something other than sitting in front of a computer all day. So I am so happy and grateful that I had this practice in place when things started to get really complicated in my life. And when I lost my dad and I lost my brother, I already had something that I could kind of go to that allowed me a place to move and grieve and not have to talk and not have to listen and not have to really... Relate on that deep emotional level, but I could just spin and learn a new trick and be in my body rather than in my sadness. So, you know, I didn't know that those deaths were going to happen in that way, in that timing. But again, I'm really glad that that practice was already in place because it would have been a super difficult time to start a new activity. It's possible, but not easy. So, if you are searching for a hobby, hit me up on Twitter, Like, say something about that on Twitter and let's have a little conversation. Maybe someone, myself or someone else who sees the the tweet will find a new idea for you that might be fun or different than you expected. But don't disregard it and don't minimize it because I really have felt for me that it's been pretty life-saving and a really, really important part of my life when I've really needed it. So if you're curious, I'll put some, some little video clips and photos on the Zen Founder website attached to this podcast post and we can go from there. So go out and do something fun. And thanks for listening to the podcast today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health bootcamp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.